a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast with Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jason Elam, and I am joined once again by Lola Robbins and Kyle Butler. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) How's everybody doing this time? I'm great. Real good. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. So there's some crazy stuff happening in the world. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but um, CPAC happened uh, this last week. And just that's the Conservative Political Action Committee annual event. They get together every year. This year, one of the keynote speakers was Viktor Orban, who is basically the dictator of Hungary and um, is very tyrannical. And he was cheered by those in attendance. And then there was some really strange performance art. There was a jail cell set up with a man inside. The first day, it was an actor. The second day was a person who had actually been charged, Brandon Straka, who had actually been charged with a misdemeanor from the January 6th insurrection. He never actually served any jail time. He did get, I think, three years of probation. Um, But this jail cell is set up to invoke sympathy for those who are incarcerated due to the insurrection on January 6th. And um, did you guys get a chance to see this at all? Yes, I did. I saw a bit of it, yes. Okay, what went through your mind when you see this thing happening at CPAC? I initially thought, wow, we're doing this now? This, this is what we're doing? Wow. It was, it was scary, but comical. You know, it was scary because, once again, I think we talked about this before, but, you know, the insurrection was exactly that. It was an insurrection. And had there been any other group of citizens that had done that, that weren't under that crazed Trump banner, everyone would see it for what it was. So, you know, that's the scary part. Like, this was an insurrection. This was an attempt to stop, take over, destroy, control an institution that has been going on since we've been here in this country, voting and, and things of that nature. I mean, this was huge. So, so to see that event take place, like this person who was part of that insurrection, this treasonous act, to see him there trying to garner sympathy and then seeing a sitting U.S. Congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, going in that cell to pray for this person as if this person is a victim of something. And then the people, you know, outside the cage were chanting and, and, you know, saying all kind of praise, kind of prayers of rebuke against some spooky devil thing that they believe is responsible for all this stuff. So it was just crazy. But, you know, after I, after I was shocked by the horror of how crazy it was, I laughed at how ridiculous it is. It was. It really is ridiculous. And to see Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a member of Andy Stanley's North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia, enter into that pretend jail cell and get down on her knees and pray the Lord's Prayer with this man as if he was being persecuted for his faith. I mean, as if he's like a martyr for the cause of Christ. And to see all those people surrounding that cage with hands outstretched, like you said, Kyle, rebuking everything they know how to rebuke. I mean, the spirit of darkness, the spirit of liberalism, the spirit of gayness. I mean, all the things they could rebuke. And to see that playing out at a political event is a little bit frightening to me, especially when that same congresswoman has been calling for Christian nationalism to take over this country. Uh, Lola, you've been very quiet since we started this conversation. What do you think? Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I used to be part of that group. 
you know, the MAGA group. So really, yeah. Okay, I, I resign. <laughs> I, I, I can't be part of this. I resign. I'm done. We finished up in the third episode of season four. That's it. I don't. I don't identify that way anymore. But it, I think it's weird now. The outside looking in, seeing just what great control one white man can have over a huge group of people and influence so many people to first of all, do what they did on January 6th. And then, okay, this person willingly walked into that cage for this like display of, I don't know if this was, obviously it probably was a political piece, but this like humanitarian art they're trying to do to like reconcile to the public, like that, oh, we're human too. And like, we're the victims and we're the ones being punished unjustifiably. It's just a bit jolting when you, you kind of piece back all the layers of it psychologically. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't resonate with me. I don't understand what they were trying to get out of this in the end. I just think it, and it's really telling that congresswoman, I don't even really care to know her name because like it's already left me. That's how important she is in my mind right now. I think it's really telling her going in there and praying with this person who literally got out of jail time because I think he paid like five grand maybe. Yeah, he paid a fine and, and got three years probation. Yeah, which I mean, if let's say Kyle, if he had done the things that that person had done, um, would Kyle be here on this podcast right now? Kyle would have been shot. Kyle would have yeah. either been Kyle shot be or s- sent to prison, not just a county jail. It would be prison time. So <laughs> it's weird to play play the victim in a role that you could never, you can never even begin to understand. Yeah, you raise a really interesting point, and Kyle touched on this before we hit record today. Kyle, could we go back to what you were saying about, you know, you guys had started a conversation about interracial marriage and things of that nature and how there's some talk now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade, that they may also undo gay marriage, possibly something like interracial marriage. And you made the point that there are a lot of things the Supreme Court decided that should have never gotten that far. Yeah. Can you pick up there and, and share what you were sharing earlier? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's when you think about it, right? When you think about the groups of people, whether it was for education, healthcare, marriage, I mean, natural things that every human being has to or should experience in a free way, in this country at least, because that's what we promote, should experience, right? So, I mean, education, everyone should have the right to education. Everyone should have the right to healthcare. Everyone should have the right to marry. I mean, again, this is supposed to be the land of the free. So to think that at some point, a group of people who were being strategically and purposefully withheld these freedoms had to go before a Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, not their, not their local judiciary centers or their local council people or anything like that. They had to go to the Supreme Court, the top of the top, the last stop, to petition, not to demand, we're here, we demand our right. They had to petition. They had to convince a group of people that their rights were being violated to marry, to go to school, to have health care. I mean, this is just basic stuff. So I, I don't even know how we got to the, to that point as far as needing or the Supreme Court to ever have to do that. I, I, that just, that still boggles my mind. Like we needed a governing body of, of lawmakers or law pastors or whatever they are to say, yes, people of different race can marry. And to stop it would be unconstitutional. Like, we needed that? A law? We needed that? Like, wow. And and people say race and racism doesn't exist. So it's crazy all by itself. But on top of that, 
There's another interesting stat that I love sharing, and I don't share it to spark anger or rage. I, I, I like to say the quote to state reality. Because I think once we see reality, there's something that hits our consciousness differently when we recognize reality. And that stat is that there's only one group of people, one segment of this population in this country from its beginning till now that has never, not once, not almost, but has never had to go before the Supreme Court and ask for its rights. And that's white men. Every other segment of this population here in this country at some point in time or another, has had to go before the Supreme Court and say, will you please give us our right to blah, blah, blah. And I think that alone says a lot, but it's probably not said enough and realized enough. And it's obviously because this country was stolen from indigenous people by white men who set themselves up as governors and mayors and presidents and judges and purposely set up the system to where anyone who wasn't them, anyone who wasn't a land-owning white man, had to ask the land-owning white men for permission for their rights. And... You know, I hear all the time the system is broken. The system was built this way. It was built this way. It's doing exactly what it was in, designed to do. And to see the folks at CPAC this week, you know, you know, listen, I, I work every day with people coming out of incarceration. My heart breaks. I don't believe anyone is served by locking people up in a cage. I think there may be times when that's the only way to keep that person and others safe, you know, but I don't think it does anyone any good to incarcerate. I think we've got almost 3 million people incarcerated in the United States right now. The highest ratio of citizens per capita incarcerated of anywhere in the world, not communist China, not Russia, right here in the United States of America, the land of the free. And it un, an unreasonable percentage of those people who are incarcerated are black men. The system is doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's unjust, it's wrong, and it has to change. Now, I'm grateful that our brothers and sisters at CPAC have learned about the plight of the prisoner. But it, it hurts me that white people like me only seem to care about issues when it starts affecting us. We like to play the victim. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, is it time for Auntie Lola's Bible story? Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Auntie Lola's <laughs> Twisted Bible Story. <laughs> what the fuck? So today we're talking about cannibalism. Super fun. Um, please don't do this at home or ever. So uh, in Second Kings chapter 6, uh, at that time, Syria was making war against Israel. And the prophet Elisha was trying to help Israel protect itself spiritually and physically from the warfare. Uh, wartime had also decimated most civilian population because famine was widespread and food costs were extremely high due to the shortage. Um, so to put it in perspective, dove shit costed about a month's wages to the average person. So only the rich were eating. So you can see how so many people were dying. So this is where cannibalism comes in. Desperate times call for desperate measures. So it was written that even once um, the king of Israel, he passed by this woman who she was crying out for help at his gates. She was saying, you know, I'm starving. Please help me. And he said to her, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or the wine press? Pretty much saying, if God can't help you, what the fuck am I going to do for you? So later on, this woman brings another woman to his gates 
and they had a dispute. They wanted him to settle. Uh, so woman number one uh, and woman number two had agreed that, hey, we're going to kill and boil our babies and then eat them. Uh, both of our families will eat them. Woman number one holds up her end of the bargain and they end up killing and eating her infant son. But woman number two has hidden her baby away in the meantime. So she's not holding up her end. So after the king hears their little dispute, um, he was enraged, disturbed, as we all would be. But instead of taking on responsibility for himself, he actually blamed Elisha, who was just trying to help him. And he ended up ordering that Elisha die for this. But spoiler alert, he did not die. Um, and he also blamed God for this, saying, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for him any longer? Ta-da! Wow. Didn't realize there was cannibalism in the Bible. Oh, it's all over it. It happened oh. in, um, it was quoted in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, a, a couple other books. Um, I had them all written down because I couldn't figure out which story was the best uh, <laughs> or the worst. So... Yeah. Wow. My God. Maybe, maybe think a little bit lesser of yourself if you're a, if you're in a position like, like President Trump or President Biden, maybe just put your ego aside and think about the fact that you're a fucking civil servant and mm -hmm. it's not about you. Wow. Yeah. Or people will eat each other. I'm just kidding. I mean, or people end up eating each yeah, other. They'll, yes. eat, they'll eat their babies. I mean, yeah, that, that passage, that story should be the theme for next year's VBS. Honestly, it's so <laughs> jolting. Like, it is so heartbreaking to think about these women. I mean, Jason, your wife, the love that she has for y'all's kids, immense, like unmatched. Can you imagine her deciding, like, we have to eat the child now? Like, it would have to be so bad, so bad. I mean, we're in a food shortage right now, I think, but still, goddamn. Yeah, but I don't think anybody's looking at the kids thinking, you know, that could be tasty. That looks good. <laughs> no, but somebody thought, let's write this down apparently several times yeah. and make sure that everyone in the future who follows God hears about this story. So, um, yes. yeah, there's a lot of messed up stuff in the Bible. And I think that's where people <laughs> pass that on to God saying like, yeah. I mean, if it's in scripture, then God says it's fine. Just like, you know, raping women and, and stealing from people. So I, if you read it so black and white like that, you, you kind of miss stories like this in between the lines and what the bigger picture is of the story. Yeah. You know, if a God who wanted to be known as love now, again, this is the position of a God, all-powerful, all-knowing. No one can say no to this God if it wants to do something because of its sovereignty. So if a God who wanted to be known as, hey, I'm love, that's what I do, I'm love. If a God wanted to be known as such, apparently God is James Brown, no, right? <laughs> Good, yeah. Why would that God author a book that would be so contradictory to love if this is going to be the main way people know you? So, you know, when you, when you can answer that question with any type of logic, then it kind of puts everything into perspective, hopefully. You know, because I think, my personal view on the Bible is, I think if we remove the connotation away from it that is the Word of God, it would really help a lot. I was literally about to say, if we would just stop calling it the Word of God and like God's divine, like authentic, inspired, yes, word, inspired word, given word, and we would have a better understanding for sure, much better. To say, you look, look, that dude Moses, he has some anger issue, issue, anger, anger issue problems. That's what he had. That was Moses' anger issue, right? He just, he just had some issue, anger issues, you know. So, so when he, when he comes down off the mountain. After supposedly God saying, okay, I repent. I'm not going to kill the people. 
When Moses comes down off of the mountain, there was a whole different story. 3,000 people die. And Moses says, yeah, God told me to kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah, it appears story. that it was more of Moses coming down off the mountain, seeing what was going on, his own rage kicking in, and then blaming it on God. And so, you know, that that's where that whole quote comes from, who is on the Lord's side from mm-hmm. that story. And, you know, so was it really God doing that? Or was it Moses? Like, you we know, give God way too much credit for all these stories. We give God way too much credit because all most of no, all of the fuck ups are literally just people with their own biases and different experiences, you know, just trying their best or sometimes just not trying at all. And it's just documentation of that. When when did y'all start to uh, latch on to your cur- current view of scripture? Because Kyle, I'm guessing as a pastor for several years, <laughs> did, I mean, were you calling it the sword of the spirit? Was it the Whoa. word of God? Was it a li- Listen, letter from God? To I, you? I had my own variation of lift up my Bible, you know, to the congregation. I am what it says I am. I wrote up my own variation that the congregation memorized and we said it. We, you know, here's the reality of religion and and being in a religious environment is that one word that most people who are still in this one word are they just they 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 just they they just like no way uh uh-uh. uh and that word is indoctrination so and that's simply just being in an environment hearing the same thing over and over again until it becomes your belief system you don't question it you don't research it. You don't do anything. You just heard it enough and you say, yep, the Bible's the word of God. Yep, amen, cover to cover. It all applies to me. I mean, that's what I heard all my life. Yeah. So it wasn't until Facebook, YouTube, and these resources were really at my fingertip, Google, that I began to hear and see other things outside of you know, what I'd been taught all my life and I had been doctrinated to believe and I've once adopted as my belief. But once I had a chance to, well, wait a minute, King James put a council of people together to get this version out here? King James had orgies? What? So, and I'm supposed to believe that this king that did all this other stuff was so concerned about protecting the integrity of the Bible that he just had a heart to do this? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, that, that don't fly with me. <laughs> so, yeah. It was stuff like that, you know. Once you started getting more information about these councils and, and this person's agenda and how this came about and how that came about and, you know, and, and it just, and, and the more information I, I, I gathered and gained and, and became, you know, privy to, it just really destroyed the idea that a God dictated this word, this book, these scriptures like I had been indoctrinated to believe. Kyle, can I say something about your your trip to um, learning that scripture is not inerrant? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> you are literally like the uh, the poster child for the the pastors and preachers that I grew up with saying like, don't get on social media, don't read uh these books don't don't educate yourself on anything because you'll stray from the path <laughs> and you literally are like the poster child for it because you literally did that and now look at where you are <laughs> yeah 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 i love it personally but <laughs> oh, me too me too yes you are the danger of facebook Kyle. i am i am beware this is what happens. You hang out on social media too much. You stop. You start doubting the word of God. Zuckerberg yeah. had no idea how many how many paths of salvation he would ruin. That's right. Oh. The Antichrist himself. Yeah, there he is. Zuckerberg. That's who it is. His eyes freak me out, but I think he's probably he's maybe don't body shame. Maybe he's That's a nice, nice person, though. Like maybe if yes. we actually got to know him. It's just the pictures that they take of him. I'm sure if someone took a more flattering photo of his eyes. It's the robot laser eyes, yes. Okay, yeah. They add those. No, that tracks. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so 
Speaking of the Bible and uh, misunderstandings of the Bible and scary stuff in the Bible, the last episode we talked, we started touching a little bit on some of the fear-based doctrines that are passed down in the church. We talked specifically about the rapture. Um, I mentioned when my parents went on one of their first dates to the drive-in movie to see a Disney flick, they were told by her dad that they better hope Jesus doesn't come back while they're at the movies, because if Jesus comes back while you're at the movies, you don't get to go with him. And I was raised in a very last days in times madness type mindset. And we really thought the rapture could just happen. I mean, I literally went to a church that taught the children's church to do rapture drills. Have you ever seen a rapture drill? What are you supposed to do when it happens? Like when rapture, when the rapture happens, like what does that look like for you guys? What's supposed to happen? Oh, that's because right, because Lola wasn't raised with this. No. Right? So we, we have to unpack the rapture. Kyle? The rapture. Yeah. All right. Thank you. We're waiting for this. Mm. Well, the rapture, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so we do everything with a lot of emotionalism. So the rapture to us, from our understanding, what it was supposed to be was this tremendously loud trumpet sounding. All of us being whisked away, caught up in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. And in this moment of being caught up, we were also being magically transformed into these Jesus-like beings. And we we're going to meet him in the sky. And now that was the, the, the good part for the people who were good Christians, I assume. Because there was another side to that rapture story that said, if you were, kind of like what Jason pointed to, in a movie or on a dance floor or doing something wrong, no matter how good you had been previously for how many years, if Jesus came back at that moment that you were doing something bad, you'd miss the rapture. <laughs> and and uh, of course, that is nothing more than a classic fear-based tactic, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But that was what I understood the rapture to be. Be on your best behavior because you don't want to miss that trumpet. And if you miss that trumpet, your ass is in a lot of trouble. Exactly. And you could miss the rapture just for saying ass. Oh, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah, or smoking or drinking. Or what if you mean it in a strictly like donkey no, you're, if it's in the Bible, if it's used that way in the Bible, it's okay. Oh, of course. Except Jesus turned water into wine, but that doesn't mean you can drink it. You can't drink them. No, you can't do that. You'll, you'll go to hell for that. So the, the really scary part of the rapture was that there was, there were all these different camps about when the rapture would take place, right? There's the pre-millennial camp. Yeah. There's the post-millennial camp talking about different dispensations of time in which the rapture might take place. And, and, and so it was basically the, the tribe that I grew up in, the rapture would happen first. All these people would just disappear from planet Earth and nobody would know what happened to them. Because if you weren't actually going to be caught up, you wouldn't even know what was going on. You would just, you know, you'd find your son or daughter's clothing laying in their bed. Oh, you go naked. Because they were taken during the night. Yes, you go naked. Okay. That's right. When you meet... When you see him, you become like him, and he's wearing a white robe. So you get a white robe, I guess. I don't know. That's the anyway. All right. Yeah. But if, <laughs> if a Christian is flying a 747 oh, when yeah. the rapture hits, oh, yeah. then that plane is left without a pilot and will crash and lead to mass hysteria because all these things, you know, every, all these buses in the inner city that are being driven by good Christian men and women are going to plow into the side of a building. And basically just all hell was going to break loose once the Christians were withdrawn from the scene, right? And then the Antichrist would come and promise peace and take over and there'd be a one world government and all that stuff. And so it was just all fear, fear, fear being thrown out there to, um, I, I, I mean, it's really just behavior management, right? It's, it's, you need to do what we say so you don't have to be left behind. 
That's so sad, that phrase, left behind. I mean, no one wants to be left behind, even like when you're with a group of friends, like going to Tin Roof in Birmingham and you're like a little bit slower walking than the rest of them. <laughs> Nobody wants to be left behind. That's And you tell children that? Listen, the church of Christ wasn't that heartless. <laughs> yeah, not, not only did we tell children that, but my mom, who I love dearly, would rent the movies left behind. And the ones prior to that, now, the, the, the latest, ver- and I don't know what the latest version was, but there was a, a version not too long ago, I think somebody you know, pretty famous had done a version of it. I Nicholas never watched Cage. it. Okay. Mm. But, um, Thank you, boy. But there, but there was some back, so you figure in the 80s, in you know, the 80s versions of those left behind movies and the rapture, my mom would gather the youth together on a Friday night and, and, you know, we'd watch those left behind movies and they were pure terror. What Jason described, airplanes falling out of the sky, trains crashing, buildings blowing up. I mean, it was pure terror. People running around, no food scavenging. I mean, it was pure terror. And my mom, thinking she's doing good, is showing us this. And to this day, my sister, my middle sister, is absolutely horrified of any kind of end times talking. Even if you try to tell her Crystal is not anywhere near true, she's horrified. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. I get scared. I get scared. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if people realize the impact this stuff really had on so many people, especially kids and, and teenagers. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I just looked at the trailer for Left Behind with Nicolas Cage in it. Oh, my God. It looks so scary. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And probably the only thing worse would be the Kirk Cameron version from the 90s. <sighs> Kirk Cameron. There's a whole series of those. Yeah, yeah Kirk Cameron. Yeah, that's the one I was yeah. thinking about, Kirk Cameron. Yeah, me too. And before that, back in the 70s, Kyle, you're probably not old enough to remember this, but um, there was a movie called Thief in the Night. Yeah, we saw that, that one. It was, was, my mom rented that one, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just terrifying. And so anyway, the whole point, the reason your mom showed that to the youth group was what? To protect us. She loved us. She didn't want us to get left behind. Right. So you would pray this prayer (laughs) and give your heart to Jesus and don't drink or smoke or screw or run with anyone who did. Right? right. I mean, that was basically what we were doing back then is, is you, you get scared into faith. Mm-hmm. So you'd be a part of the church and you'd be protected. Yep. When the rapture hit, you would go with Jesus and not have to live through the great tribulation. So were they scaring you guys into having faith or into good morals or both? Well, in my case, they were scaring me into pretending. Yeah. Pretending. That I had good morals. Yeah. Um, pretending. Which sets up a lot of shame, right? Because you're terrified that anybody in the church circles. Well, how long will the fear last, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because anything fear can talk you into, when the fear subsides, you may not be passionate. I mean, the whole narrative of of the gospel that I was hearing was, you know, God loves you so much, and, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. But that gospel of pray this prayer so you don't go to hell when you die doesn't lead anyone to love God. It leads us to fearing God and having to get all of our ducks in a row so that God doesn't destroy us and throw us in a fiery pit when it's all said and done. So you live your whole life for death. Yes. That's really what Christianity yeah. seems like it is to me now when it comes to a more fear-based theology. Is you, you live to die. I mean, obviously, there's that whole, you know, Paul said, um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I just, I can't buy into that bullshit right now. But it doesn't seem like a very full life to me. Yeah, I do think that there is an element of, I guess the expression used to be, you know, you get so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you ever hear that one? I've never heard that in my life. So heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I tell you, what happens if you're opposite? Do I get left behind? 
Probably, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I'm yeah, in good we, company, yeah, I think. Yeah, we can't, uh, we definitely can't go. Sorry. I tell you, if hell is full of people like this, we are going to have so much fun. Oh, yeah. And really good food. Uh, I'm going to hell. I'm, 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 I'm okay going, with that. I'm going with you. We'll hold hands. It's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Because <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> if the devil, wow. if the devil isn't in charge of hell, well, according to the the Bible again, the devil was was too prideful and too full of you know uh, iniquity or, or pride. I know I said prideful already, but I'm looking for another word. Like the, the devil seemed like he was the kind of dude that was like, "Yo, I'm too pretty to get hurt." Like, I, I yeah, I, look, I'm too pretty for that. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure hell is not no fire pit. It can't be if the devil's there because. You're like, look, look, I, I, look, I'm too pretty to get hurt, so we can't be around all this fire. <laughs> we gonna party. <laughs> we gonna turn up. See, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I vain is the word I'm looking for. You're very vain, whole, so. <laughs> I don't understand the whole Satan thing. Um, I still don't. I, I don't have a good grasp on Satan and and who that person <laughs> is supposed to be. I feel like maybe it was the death of God's ego perhaps, and not an actual thing, person, spirit, but maybe the death of God's own ego in order to give life to humanity. Wow, that's really interesting. I don't know if that's real, but it's just what I've been like, it's been mulling in my brain the last couple of months. Could be. But you know what, too? I think it's funny now when you look at these narratives and you can so easily pick them apart for the nonsensical content of them mm-hmm. is that the, you know the church taught me that the devil hates you that's why he wants to trick you that's why he wants to deceive you. he hates 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 you right yes but on the same side you know the devil wants you to get drunk so you feel better the devil wants you to party so you can dance the party the devil wants you to if he hates us why does he want to spend forever with us do all the fun stuff <laughs> he wants you to do all the fun stuff all the stuff we, we, we were told we can't do that we shouldn't do the devil said yeah come on to my side you can do all this stuff it's fun over here LSD so, for days yeah this, this whole concept of you know the devil hating us and, and, and just wanting to deceive us so we could be on his side is just so ludicrous when you think about it because it can most easily be flipped back on God as the one that really does hate us. Because That's scary. We've just turned this into a Halloween segment suddenly. You're the one who has the power to heal, but you don't. And you're the one who has the power to end world hunger, but you don't. You're the one that, makes, that can make sure that innocence is never abused, but you don't. You sit there and you do nothing. So who really hates us? You're, you're the one who made this plan, according to Christian narratives, and these are all according to Christian narratives, according to Christian narratives who built a everlasting torture chamber to throw people into. So who's the one who really hates us? You know, when you look at the narratives and you start to, see them for the nonsensicalness that they are. And the devil, as far as Christian theology or Christian doctrine is concerned, gets a really bad rap as the bad guy in the story. But in a lot of these narratives, when you shine the light on them, that God dude is really the bad guy in the stories, as I see them. I mean, that's how he's reflected in in most of scripture at at least in the Old Testament anyway. I mean, he's yeah, a... Yeah, it wasn't the devil who flooded the earth. wrathful... I mean, he's described as so many, like, words with very negative connotations are all the descriptors for what God is to the people that were writing Old Testament scriptures. You know, and another part, too, that there... Here's a reality. The, the devil really gets no credit for killing anyone, like, as far as the devil killed this person, like, the devil did it. Like this dead bodies on the ground and who killed this person? The devil. There's none of those stories that exist. Now there, you can loosely trace something back to Job's children, his companions. Loosely. But he's, he got the permission from God to do it. So who's the one really complicit in that story? But anyway, 
But there's stories after story after story after story after story after story after story of the God of that Bible killing people. Yes. So, again, I mean, when you take another look at these narratives from an unindoctrinated mind now, and from an honest perspective, you say, something's really not right here. Something's really, really wrong. And that's another reason why I think the connotation of this is the word of God should be pulled away from that book and, and just be called for what it is, men writing stuff. That's my view. All right. So how does all this play out in our lives? Uh, what are the dangers of fear-based theology? How does this affect the people who continue to sit and listen to these teachings week after week? Eating disorders, anxiety, depression, suicide, self-harm. See, I think, and I know I've talked a lot in this podcast tonight, and so please forgive me. It's the Kyle show. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think, number one, I, I, I really don't think that most people can even have even yet to recognize that they've been trapped by fear more so than by pure desire to be part of this. What is the number one selling point of Christianity? It's not, hey, God really loves you. God really wants to spend time with you. God really wants to help you and heal you and make you better and help you financially. Da, 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 da. It's where are you going to spend eternity? Are you saved? That's the selling point. That's the premise of it. And even if you try to pretty up John 3.16, I mean, it's not that pretty, really. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. It's really not that pretty. So I don't think that most people that are connected to it really can see that it was probably more fear that has you here. And it's probably more fear that keeps you here than it is a pure, sincere, heartfelt, I just want to because I feel so loved, because I feel so this, because I feel so that. I don't think that's really it. But I don't think it's recognized by most people. I think what they call worship and service and dedication is really backed all by fear. Because if churches told people week after week after week, guess what? You don't really have to come to church who would really go that faithfully? If churches told people, God is okay if you don't go to church, who would really go that faithfully? If people were told it's okay, you don't have to give your money. God is okay with that. Who would really give their money that consistently? Who would be serving in the, the, the youth group, the choir, the this, the that, week after week after week, unpaid, extra long hours, already tired, who would be doing this if it wasn't some underlying deep fear that says, if I don't, God's going to be upset. Therefore, God won't help me. God won't bless me. God won't this and God won't this. So I must. I don't think people really will because guess what? When you give people the option to be free, then people get free. And that's just what we do. That's good stuff. Preacher Kyle. You really, you pulled out the preacher voice on me. <laughs> I got a little bit shaky when you, you started to raise your voice. I was like, oh, fuck, I got to go forward now. Um, come, on down, come on down to the altar now. God, is, God has been dealing with you. Come on down. Lift your hands. These are not the seeds of shame. They are the roads of redemption, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, but you're right about fear keeping us in the prison. And also, mm-hmm. once you come out, of religion, everyone knows once you leave it, it's all uncertain, everything. And what if I'm wrong? So the uncertainty, that was the hardest part for me. And I know that that's what keeps my family in, uh, in religion, just the fear of the unknown and not knowing, not, not knowing how to trust themselves, which we talked about before. And not able to take agency over their own lives um, because they're just not sure if they are good enough. And if, if they aren't good enough, what then? If they aren't good enough for themselves, are they good enough for a God to love them? Wow. 
What do we replace the fear with? Once we see through the fear, Kyle and Lola, what do we replace it with so that we can move on with our lives in a healthier way? For me, the more fear I lost, the more love I gained. And, and the reality is it was really fear stopping me from loving people the way that I, I'm instinctively desiring to love people because I can't really talk to that person over there because they're gay. And I, I can't really hang out with that person over there because they don't come to church. And, 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 and I really can't befriend that person because they smoke and they drink. And, and I, I would like to really get to know that young lady over there, but she looks too fast, she looks too loose. So, and those guys hanging on the corner that just seem like they don't have much of a life, you know what, I gotta stay away from them because they're thugs. So, and all these people that I've, I, I've, I've, I'm afraid to encounter, eventually that fear turns into some type of hatred. But when I got rid of the fear, the, the, the hatred that I had against people had, that had done nothing to me, I found love for them. I think replacing the fear, whatever feels natural, whatever feels right. Our intuition is almost never wrong. And we have a moral compass, whether or not we are told to have one or indoctrinated with a specific kind of moral compass. So personally, I just feel that when you step out of the fear, what you can replace it with is anything that feels good to you intentionally, anything that makes you feel free, but not out of control. That's what I think. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, for me, it's just, it's love and peace, right? I mean, it's just filling. Fear will always have us seeing an enemy where we should see a friend or a brother or sister. It will constantly have us pointing fingers at other people, scapegoating them for the problems that exist in the world rather than solving them. We'll blame the other party or the other person for creating the poverty and hunger that exists in the world rather than feeding someone. But see, those fear-based doctrines, they make us so susceptible to every crazy conspiracy theory Right. Because, you know, the folks who followed after Q and MAGA and all the stuff that we've seen play out in the last few years politically, where'd they learn that stuff? They learned it at church (laughs) because the Antichrist was coming and the rapture and the tribulation and the seven years and all these things were taught to them from a very young age at church. And so that same kind of language gets used against them politically because we all want to blame somebody for our problems. Fear leads us to a position of blame and scapegoating one another rather than opening our arms in friendship and love. And so to me, I know this is a Bible verse, and I know that in light of the fact that none of us believe Scripture is inerrant, maybe it's pointless to quote it, but perfect love casts out fear. That's true in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, now see, I do think that there are nuggets in those scriptures, just like there are nuggets in a lot of writings. So people tell me all the time, Kyle, you shouldn't throw away the baby with the bathwater, and I don't really know what that means. But for me, I needed to throw away everything to start from scratch. Throwing out the baby with the bathwater sounds like one of Auntie Lola's twisted Bible stories. Just don't eat the baby, I beg of you. That's what I was oh, thinking. There you go. Yeah, don't eat the baby. Don't boil it. Don't so, eat it. Yeah. I, I think the Bible does have some, some nuggets in there. As a man thinks in, in his heart, so is he. That's a good life nugget. You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself, even though that predates the Bible. I mean, actually, everything in there that... I would consider to be a good nugget predates the Bible, was already said, was in another ancient book, more ancient than the Bible and things of that nature. But, you know, if, if someone's going to use the Bible as their primary source, as an ancient writing to some, make them feel connected to God, then my, my, my suggestion would be just, just find the nice fuzzy quotes. Leave the rest alone. You don't need it. Trust me. 
it's like everything else in life, right? There'll be times you're driving down the road and you hear a song that speaks to you. The universe is speaking to you and something inside of you comes alive. And that can happen with a Bible verse. Mm -hmm. That can happen with a conversation with a friend. That can happen with a really amazing cup of coffee. That can happen with a song on the radio or a movie at the movie theater. It can happen when you're sitting, meditating all alone. It can happen in a yoga session. Listening to a podcast, the Messy Spirituality Podcast. It can happen listening to the Kyle Butler Show. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) We're going to do that still. We're doing that still. (laughs) I think we might have to change all the graphics again, guys. (laughs) It's just Kyle's face. We should put Kyle's pretty face on there. Oh, gosh. Send our listens through the roof. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, this has been fun. And um, friends, I hope that you're having as much fun as we are making these episodes. It's It's been a great adventure. Uh, these last few episodes since we started season four of the podcast, I'm thrilled uh, to have these co-hosts along with me. And uh, we love doing these shows for you. I hope that you're getting something out of listening to them. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation over at the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. We're going to post that question and we want to hear your take on it. That question, what are the dangers of fear-based theology? And maybe the follow-up question, and what is the way out? What have you replaced fear with in your own life? We'd love to hear you talk about what you found that works for you. And where do you find nuggets of inspiration? How does the universe or God or the higher power speak to you? What does that feel like? What does it sound like? We hope that you'll join us as a patron over on Patreon. You'll find a link to our patron page. So far, we don't have any. So you could be the first ever patron of this program since we uh, started season four. So that would be awesome. We would love that. You'll also find links to social media for everybody here on the podcast. And again, we'd love to hear from you over in the Facebook group. Uh, Kyle and Lola, any parting comments this week? I just want to say that please drop your shoulders and take a deep breath. And you are so loved right where you are. You don't have to be anything different. And this is a safe place for you and there's room at our table for you. So please join us. Awesome. I love the sound of that. Kyle, you got anything? Hey, just have some fun. Just laugh, have fun. Find that, whatever those things are, that gives you pleasure and makes you laugh, makes you have fun. Just do that. Do a lot of it. Do as much as you can. Trust me, there's enough stuff around to make you want to feel opposite, but Find something every single day that's going to make you laugh. And I don't give the same thing over and over again. Just find it and laugh. Thank you, Kyle. Folks, thanks for tuning in again this week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. And there might even be a messy conversation or two in between these produced episodes. So we'll hear from you again soon over on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. Kyle, Lola, thanks so much for doing this. It's been a blast. Always. Thank you, guys.